The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News. What great uh, news for you all that we've made it halfway through the week to hump day. Just two days to go, depending on how you count them, and you'll be on your weekend. want to mention uh, we do have a heat warning for Alberta that's been updated to include the Edmonton area. We'll talk a bit more about that in just a moment. And of course, as we always do on the last Wednesday of every month, We'll be uh, joined by Dr. Gantz Ferentz. He's going to talk today in his segment, How Does That Make You Feel? Seven Ways You're Killing Your Relationship Without Even Knowing It. I suspect that I was the motivation behind that particular topic choice. But we'll find out when Dr. Gantz comes in. Right now, however, we're joined in studio by Member of Parliament John Brassard. He's the MP for Barry Innisfil and critic for the veteran for Veteran Affairs, along with uh, Member of Parliament uh, Kathy Wagenthal. She is the MP for Yorkton Mel and Deputy Critic for Veteran Affairs. Uh, welcome both of you to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Good to be here. It, it's good to have you. And now this is a topic, uh, I'll be quite frank and honest and open with you. My partner, uh, Jayla Nye, who's on vacation again because she gets a ridiculous amount, um, this was really important that, that I have you in. But as the timing worked out, it had to be at a time when she wasn't here. She's an honorary colonel, as our listeners know, in the armed forces, but she explained to me uh, some of the things that you folks wanted to talk about, and I think it's important. Uh, it's not normally my billywhack, billywhack, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I'll try and muff my way through it. I want to start with uh, Mefloquin, and I know, John, you had talked to Jalen and I about this before, but of course not everyone heard that conversation. So can you give us an overview of what this is and, and what you're concerned with it? Sure. Is? Um, I was on the show about a month and a half ago, Andrew, and uh, we had a great conversation. At that time, uh, the committee had uh, just issued a report on PTSD and methyl, uh, mental health. Uh, we had put that uh, uh, to Parliament, and a lot of the study dealt with the issue of mefloquine, which is an anti-malarial drug that was issued to our soldiers who um, uh, were active in malaria zones and uh, we had issued a dissenting report with respect to uh, the PTSD and mental health study uh, that really uh, caused uh, some obviously some public attention to it. Uh, We felt that uh, more work needed to be done on the issue of methoquine particularly as it related to uh, Somalia uh, and outreach programs to veterans as well who took uh, that anti-malarial drug. Now, this is a drug, and Kathy, I know that this is uh, a file that you're uh, spearheading. Mm -hmm. This is a preventative drug or it's a treatment drug? Both. Okay. And uh, was introduced back then because there was a need for another anti-malaria drug, but it wasn't licensed yet and was used basically uh, as a test case on our armed forces. And unfortunately, the research wasn't actually followed up. And uh, there were a lot of issues that weren't dealt with because the inquiry was shut down before they dealt with the issues of mefloquine and how that we feel and veterans feel impacted the behavior that day of Clayton Matchy. Now you say veterans feel, Mm -hmm. but where is this coming from? What is the motivation that's driven the two of you to really go after this? Sure. 
Sorry, sorry, no, Catherine. No, I, we were studying the issue of mental health and PTSD, and uh, one of the veterans uh, who took methylquin and was in Somalia and part of the Airborne Regiment had come to Parliament Hill, uh, and then he testified in front of our committee after meeting with the Minister of Veterans Affairs, Minister of Defense, and the Health Minister. And like every parliamentary committee study, you start off in a direction, and then you start veering off into another direction, and we started hearing about the issues of methylquin. That's right. Uh, and um, as veterans were hearing what was happening on the Hill with this, they started to realize uh, that it was a live issue again because it had come up uh, after the inquiry. John Cummins had worked really hard on behalf of uh, Clayton Matchy's wife, and there was an encouraged feeling there because uh, the whole world, our allies, were dealing with it. It's been black boxed in the U.S. Uh, Australia has dealt with it. They're actually allowing uh, veterans to say, yes, this is what impacted me, giving them the benefit of the doubt and getting treatment. And our, our veterans came to us and said, look, what we want is to not have this drug available as a first line of uh, defense against malaria with our armed forces. They were concerned about the men and women serving right now. And then, of course, they want recognition, proper treatment. Right now, it's not diagnosed by Veterans Affairs, so you can't get treatment for something that isn't recognized. And then, of course, there's also the other issue of the Somali inquiry and fairness to our, our airborne. All right. Now, the federal government launched two reviews into the drug you're uh, talking about, one by Health Canada, another by the Surgeon General for the Canadian military. Both reviews views found there was, and I quote, limited evidence supporting that long-lasting and permanent neurological and psychiatric adverse uh, events are caused by the use of mefloquin. So are you saying those studies are wrong? I'm saying that uh, so far they've served a purpose, those studies, in that uh, Health Canada very quietly updated the label to add a lot of uh, the conditions that our veterans are suffering, including, it even says on there, that they uh, can be suffered permanently and lifelong and includes suicide. And so that just gives you a bit of an idea of how intense this drug can impact people and it doesn't impact everybody that way and then the second thing was the surgeon general's report they what they've said they've said but they also made it a drug of last resort which says okay mm there is some culpability there and they're willing to make a difference in the future. Now what do we do with all of these individuals, soldiers and veterans who have been impacted by it in the past because they were required to use it? Well that was going to be my next question uh, for either of you who'd be interested in responding. Is there a reliability issue here? Would that explain a government's reluctance to just come right out and ban the drug? Andrew, I think if you talk to the veterans, they're not looking to place blame. What what they're looking to do is to get help. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of cases, what we heard at Veterans Affairs Committee and what we've been uh, studying is anecdotal evidence, but we're starting to see some clinical evidence mm -hmm. of the effects of methylquin toxicity among those that took it. And it's important to understand that this is not just a military issue. There are civilians who take methylquin when they go into anti-malarial zones. We've, other seen, we've also seen some of our allies uh, ban methylquin altogether and are using it in, in cases as a drug of last resort. So uh, from our standpoint, uh, when we talk to veterans, and what veterans are telling us, they're not looking to lay blame. They want help. They want help to be treated for this condition. Well, they're not looking to lay blame, but aren't they potentially, wouldn't the government potentially be setting it up for a liability issue if they you did know, accept here's blame? Here's the thing. Duty of care is very important to this government in some areas, in some aspects. Our veterans have served our country 
and they have the right to expect when they come home that they are cared for properly. And so to just push this aside because of that fear to me is inappropriate. We have a responsibility in the same way that we do to our First Nations, that same responsibility to our veterans in a circumstance where in Somalia, that inquiry was shut down just before an election and uh, Dr. Passy was prepared to, to testify. He was the psychiatrist there and knew that this drug was heavily impacting uh, our first airborne. So there is a responsibility there. And what our veterans want is their honor back. That's more important to them than anything. I have to ask before we take our first break, and we're talking with a member of Parliament, John Broussard. He's the MP for Barry Innisfil and critic for Veterans Affairs and Kathy Wagenthal. Is it Wagenthal or Wagentail? Wagenthal. So I nailed it the first two <laughs> times. Did. I should have gone with Please instinct. Continue. Uh, member Common of Parliament. Mistake. Common <laughs> mistake. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, for Yorkton, Melville, and deputy critic for Veteran Affairs. Uh, so the other question that begs to be asked, of course, is that you're both members of a party that was in government mm -hmm. uh, during the time in which this drug was used. So, um, I mean, how do you now say that there should be some resolution to this when your government didn't resolve it in the time that they were in power? Well, concerns about this first came up uh, uh, many years ago. And in fact, when Kathy and I uh, were out in Victoria, we met with former MP John Cummins, who really brought to light uh, the issue of methloquine. And uh, in fact, we saw a reduction in methloquine use among our Canadian forces. It went down, in fact, to 5%. But it was public uh, knowledge of this that really started coming up in 2009, 2010, around that area. And of course, it's been gaining more and more attention. And mm -hmm. so for us, when we dealt with this issue at Veterans Affairs Committee, it was really the pinnacle of a lot of years of uh, information coming out about this drug, and that's wh why we ended up where we did. And it's the purpose of your visit here to Edmonton um, to hold meetings with veterans. I mean, what brought you out here? Well, we wanted to get out of the Ottawa bubble. We wanted to make sure uh, we use this time over our summer break to meet with veterans, not just to talk about issues of vet uh, methloquine. Uh, we're talking about issues of transition. We're talking about really uh, how the message that we can bring back to Ottawa as members of the opposition and members of the Veterans Affairs Committee to improve services to our veterans. And that's really why we're doing this Western tour. Good stuff. Transition is actually where I want to go to next. We'll take our first break when we come back uh, more with the Member of Parliament for Barry Innisfail and Yorkton Melville. All right, welcome back to the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News. We've been sitting down and talking with uh, Member of Parliament John Broussard, uh, who is the critic for Veteran Affairs, and Member of Parliament uh, Kathy Wagenthal. I haven't, uh, by the way, oh, I should say, is uh, the Deputy uh, Critic uh, Minister of Cri Shadow Minister of Critic uh, for uh, Veteran Affairs. I should say this because I haven't looked at our texting line yet, um, but I know what's on there. Um, and one of the things is, how dare you address two members of parliament by their first name? It happens every time. Uh, you did give me permission before we started. I, honestly, I don't care. All right. <laughs> call, me, call me John. I, Perfect. <laughs> doesn't matter to me. Yeah. All right. So we talked about, or you mentioned just before the break about uh, transition, and I started uh, to look into this, and uh, I got uh, muddled with it, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. So mm -hmm. let's talk about transition. What's mm -hmm. the issue? Well, the issue is uh, the level of confusion that exists among those that are transitioning out. We just, again, did a uh, transitional study that was presented to Parliament in December of 2006. We came up with some recommendations, uh, but the, the challenges for our CAF members who are transitioning out of the military into civilian life, I mean, there are multiple challenges. Uh, the biggest one is really loss of identity. Uh, you know, you've been regimented into a certain 
way for your military career. You're being released out of the military, and, and you know, it, it creates a lot of confusion among uh, those members of the CAF. There's a, it's a, a cumbersome process in terms of paperwork. Um, and it really causes a lot of stress, especially for those who are suffering, for example, from uh, mental health issues, PTSD, occupational stress injuries. And so uh, we're hearing a lot about transition on this Western Canadian tour, just as we heard a lot while we were in Ottawa studying this. So mm-hmm. um, we're taking that information and, and we're really, uh, really hearing what veterans have to say. So, Kathy, we're not dealing here exclusively with those who have uh, been released for medical or mental issues from the armed forces. We're talking about everybody who leaves the armed Forces. Correct. Yes, yes. There's there's issues that apply across the board. Uh, quite honestly, the ones I think that face the most trauma in the process are the ones that are dealing with physical and mental uh, conditions in addition to because there is that navigating through VAC because they are the ones who, who basically are the ones that come to VAC to get the additional help that they need. And uh, there's a lot of very practical things that could be done to make Let me things stop much you there better. for a second, mm-hmm. right? Because when I looked at your recommendations, and again, who am I? But I looked at your recommendations, and one of the recommendations was no member shall be released before all paperwork with the first check yeah. has been received by the member. Right. Is that Absolutely. not absolute common sense? Yes. It is. And yes. in fact in fact, Andrew, there's been over the course of the last ten years, fourteen studies that have been done, parliamentary reports, the DND ombudsman, the veterans ombudsman, mm-hmm. you would think, I, I, was, I was told by a veteran last week in my writing that there are as certain as death and taxes are, <laughs> is as certain as at some point you're going to be released in the military. And so it's a known process. And so this, according to the DND ombudsman, uh, Gary Walburn, who's a terrific uh, um, man and... Advocate does great work great advocate for he 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 sees this as a low hanging fruit opportunity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's been so much work so much study that's been done into this that in fact general vance who's the chief of the defense staff has initiated the very uh, thing that has been recommended so many times and so it's still a work in progress from what we understand uh, but it should be common sense. If you're releasing from the Canadian Forces, everything needs to be in play. And one of the things that we're hearing, and maybe Kathy can expand on this as well, is is the need for veterans to be involved in this process. Those that have already transitioned, transitioned successfully. That would seem to make sense as well. Grabbing yes. the hand yeah. of other ve- uh, other CAF members who are doing this. And, and this is something that we're hearing, a veteran-initiated, veteran-led uh, situation. And you're seeing a lot of that happening out there. The most impactful um, programs and a lot of them are vets helping vets Mm -hmm. doing it because it simply needs to be done but that needs to happen within government within our responsibility and part of that issue for them I believe is that you go into service you're not thinking that this is going to happen or that's going to happen you're going to need to deal with it so DND I believe uh, I have confidence I have hope that they're going to take that role that they also have to be part of helping these individuals to to understand what their opportunities are going to be as far as releasing what's going to be available to them. Uh, When it comes to injuries, for example, we were speaking with someone today who's been trying to get an increase in uh, support financially for a back injury. He's much older now. Didn't realize he applied for a back injury and there are four or five different levels to back injuries. There's your lower back, your middle back, your, you know, mm-hmm. and here he was only applying for the one when common sense tells you when you're in an accident like he was, this has impacted your entire uh, 
body, right? And we've heard too many stories of veterans who have transitioned out of the Canadian forces, who've had to wait for their pension yes. checks to come in. And it's caused, if the stress of transition isn't enough and all that you have to deal with, like I said earlier, the loss of identity, for example, and getting back into civilian life, the challenge of not having uh, finances in place. Uh, we've heard stories where people have been kicked out of their homes. That should not happen for those that serve our country. Everything should be in place when they transition out. Mm -hmm. Just so I understand this, because I've not served, um, nor do I have any of my, anyone in my family that I could ask. So you leave the Canadian Armed Forces, you then become the responsibility of, or the transition is handled by Veteran Affairs. So those are the two organizations? Correct. Do they not share a database? I mean, does one not know that the other's coming? <laughs> Working on that. Are you? I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked to learn that the Canadian forces and the VAC databases don't communicate. And that, again, is one of the recommendations that we made to the government uh, on our transition study. And this is a recommendation that's been made by the DND Ombudsman and the Veterans Ombudsman as well. Has there any been, uh, been any conversation or recommendations with regard to support for families of members yes. returning? Yeah, that's that is critical. a high priority and yeah. very, very critical. And uh, the family centers are becoming uh, more and more of a high priority. The reality is when, when you go into that circumstance, you're taking your family with you. Absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of concern across the board for that. Yeah, it seems odd to me. I mean, all of us are issued with a social insurance number. I mean, I don't mean to harp on this, but uh, every Canadian is identifiable. So it seems that there should be a database that's easily transferred between departments yeah, and, and spouses, well, right? Well, hopefully what the, one of the recommendations, again, is that they're issued a VAC card when they enlist. Right and from the they, start. They right, sign up so right that'll away. be the number they need when they exactly. are released. And they sign up right away for my VAC account and are taught and explained the programs over the course of time. Because when you sign up and you're young and you're fit, you're not yeah. thinking about that type of... That's like me in radio. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, it, and it's a simple solution. Yeah. It's signing a consent form that the information within the CAF gets transferred over to VAC. It's that simple. It can be done right, 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 at the, right at the beginning of the process. Do you know, I have to jump on the opportunity. Uh, I've got two members of Parliament in front of me, and I harp about this when it comes to City Council here in Edmonton. So I'm going to jump on this opportunity and put you on the spot. Sure. I often say, with regard to any issue, uh, at any level of government, uh, this seems like a simple solution. Mm -hmm. And yet it takes forever for mm -hmm. the wheels to turn. So now I've got two members of Parliament, one of which said this is a simple solution. Mm -hmm. Why aren't simple solutions implemented quickly. Well, if we had the answer for that, uh, <laughs> we'd be able to find those simple solutions. I, I think a lot of it comes from the will to do among government. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't say it any better than that. It's passing, passing the initiative through to the bureaucracy. And the bureaucracy is big, and I'm not saying anything bad about the bureaucracy. But the fact is that, you know, at the end of the day, what we should be thinking of in Veterans Affairs is how can I help the veteran? How can I help their family? That ultimately has to be the goal. It's not a question of, of questioning all the time. You know, where I'm from in Ontario, we have uh, presumptive uh, legislation. And I was a former firefighter. And if you develop cancer on the job, it's presumed that uh, that cancer was as a result of your employment. We should be presuming, in my view anyways, that everything that happens within the service and documented Hap it is is uh, should be we shouldn't be saying no we should just you know on pr on on presumption so Kathy yeah I, I agree that's what I was I was thinking we the benefit of the doubt uh, it has is 
being lost and eroded away when, yes, there might be some cases where a system is abused, but believe me, in our conversations with veterans, which are extensive, <clears throat> they, they don't have a desire to abuse the system. They just simply want the recognition for what they have done in service to their country and to be taken care of. And to have to fight another war when you come home to get those uh, services is it's just not right. And so there's simple things that can be done, but part of that process is um, making sure that the bureaucracy, all of the red tape possible, is gone. I have to uh, let you guys go pretty quick here, but uh, for those listeners who want to participate in the open houses you were talking about, where can they find you now? Well, we are, uh, we've got uh, roundtables this afternoon. I'm in Norwood, uh, at the Norwood Legion this afternoon. I'm doing at. a roundtable there. That's at 3. I'm just turning to uh, yeah, my policy sure. director here because he handled all the scheduling. But uh, it should be around, what time, Rob? 3.30. 3.30, we're going to be there. And we want people to come out. We want to hear the issues that they're having with that. And the one I'm hosting is from 4 to 6 at the King's... Way Kingsway Legion. Excellent. I've been uh, sitting down with Member of Parliament John Brassard and Member of Parliament uh, Kathy Wagatal. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to come Thank in. Thank you and, for having me. Yes, thanks Thank so much. You so much. All right, have a great afternoon. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.